Today we're going to be completing our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, looking at verses 14 through 23. Philippians 4, 14 through 23. And I'm so grateful uh, that the Lord has led us to spend time in this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi over these last 12 weeks. And I pray that it has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me to hear and to be challenged each week to consider that because our joy comes from our Savior and not from our circumstances, that we can find and cultivate joy even in difficult times. And we can relate to Paul as he writes to this church that he loves and longs for, but with whom he cannot be physically present. In his case, it's because he is in prison in Rome. We have also been providentially hindered from being together, at least as we expect and desire to be, for 18 Sundays now. So it's been good for me to hear the Holy Spirit, through Paul, calling us to joy in Christ in all circumstances. And I just want to walk through what we've seen each week. In Philippians 1, 1-11, we saw joy in longing. Though we long to be together we can find joy in our continued partnership in the gospel, perseverance toward the goal, partaking of God's grace and prayers for God's people. In Philippians 1, 12 through 18, we saw joy in suffering. Paul was able to find joy in Christ as his suffering served his evangelism, served his example, and served Christ's ends. In 1, 18 through 30, we saw joy in life and in death. If we are looking to Christ for joy, we can live and die with joy. When Christ is our all, we can live and die with joy. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, we saw joy in unity that comes from our new mind, our new model, our new motivation, and our new mission in Christ. In 2, 2 through 18, we saw joy in holiness as God empowers us to live out His gift of grace. In 2, 19 through 30, we saw joy in connection. Connection that brings joy is spiritual and significant and sympathetic and steadfast and sacrificially service oriented. In 3, 1 through 11, we saw joy in loss as we forsake the false gospel of confidence in the flesh, in ritual or race or religion or rank or righteousness, and embrace the true gospel of confidence in Christ alone. In 3.12-4.1, we saw joy in perseverance through faith that Jesus has made us His own. Through forgetting what lies behind both our failures and our feats. And through forward straining toward the upward call of God in Christ. In 4 verses 2 and 3 we saw joy in reconciliation as we remember that we who are in Christ share one Lord, one labor, and one life together. In 4, 4 through 9 we saw joy in practice through patience with people. Peace through prayer and purity in what we ponder and in what we pursue. And last week in chapter 4 verses 10 through 13, we saw joy in contentment. That if we are looking 
to Christ for joy, we can find contentment in any and every circumstance. We can do all things through Him who strengthens us. And in our passage today, Paul closes out his letter with an expression of gratitude to the Philippian believers. With their last communication to Paul through Epaphroditus, they sent a financial gift to help provide for his needs and his comforts as much as possible while he's in prison, as well as to further his ministry in Rome. And Paul rejoices in their financial support, not primarily because it means provision for him, but because their kingdom generosity will mean joy for them, for the Philippian believers, and glory to God. And Paul honors the joyful generosity of the church at Philippi in this passage. So let's look together at God's Word. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's ask for the Lord's help today to understand and to apply his word. Oh Lord, this is our desire today. That the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts and the words of my mouth, inasmuch as they are your inspired words, would bring glory and honor and pleasure to You. O Lord, our God and Father, to You be glory forever and ever. Amen. George Washington Truett was a a Baptist pastor. He was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas from 1897 to 1944. And once he was invited to another church, Uh, to preach the dedication service of their new building. And when he arrived, uh, the church officers told him uh, that they still needed to raise $6,500 by the next day, by that Monday morning, in order to finish the project. And they were counting on him to raise the money. By the way, that's not the way that you should treat a guest preacher. After Truett had preached the gospel and made an appeal to the congregation for the money that was needed, In a slow and reluctant process, they only raised $3,000, less than half of what was needed. And as Truett stood up to make yet another appeal, an older woman rose in the back of the church and spoke to her husband, who was at the front of the church, helping to, to calculate what was given. And she said this, Charlie, I have been sitting here wondering if 
you would be willing for us to give our little home on which we just paid off the mortgage. We were offered $3,500 for it just yesterday. We were told that we could get that money at the bank anytime in the next 10 days if we would sell. Charlie, can we give our little house to Christ that His house might be free? When we remember that He gave His life for us, I wonder if we ought not to give this little house to Him. This dear woman got it. She understood what Paul has been saying about joy and contentment in Christ. Having Christ as our ultimate and all-surpassing treasure. Having Christ as our joy and having joy in Him that frees us to be open-handed with the things of this world that frees us for joyful generosity. And this is what Paul sees and celebrates in the Philippian church in their gift to him. And it should be our aim as a church as well to have Christ as our ultimate and all-surpassing treasure and to express that in joyful generosity for the sake of His kingdom. So what does joyful generosity look like? What does joyful generosity look like for us as individuals and what does it look like for us as Back Creek Church? Well, the first thing that we see in this passage is that joyful generosity shares trouble. Joyful generosity shares trouble. Paul says uh, to the Philippians, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now Paul, as we know from the New Testament, was constantly in trouble. We have rehearsed his sufferings before in this series, but he was constantly being opposed by religious leaders and by political leaders. He was constantly being beaten and thrown in prison and kicked out of town. Paul was perceived as a troublemaker because he brought this new movement, this good news about Jesus to new places and to new people, and he was causing commotion in the community. So he constantly faced trouble from those who were enemies of the gospel, enemies of the movement. But it wasn't a surprise to Paul. Because Jesus sought to prepare His disciples for this moment. He told them and through them us in no uncertain terms, in this world you will have trouble. If we belong to Christ, if we live for Christ, if we are on mission with Christ, we are going to experience opposition from the world and from the devil. We will have trouble. And I think a good question to ask ourselves is how much trouble have I endured as a result of following Jesus and sharing His gospel? How much trouble have I endured as a result of following Jesus and sharing His gospel? On the one hand, I think that does help us see how engaged we are in God's mission. If we're not experiencing some form of risk, some form of resistance, some measure of trouble and opposition, are we being faithful in our calling to connect people with the hope of the gospel? On the other hand, it shows us that in God's providence, we all have different callings. 
We have different circumstances and we'll deal with different levels and expressions of trouble than others. That was the case with Paul and the Philippians. As an itinerant missionary, he faced more trouble naturally than these church members who lived and ministered in the same community, which was relatively free. That's the sharing part. Paul and the Philippians were partners in the gospel. They shared a ministry. Paul's role was to go and therefore to often face trouble. The Philippians' role was to give and to share in Paul's trouble. Paul's role was to go. The Philippians' role was to give, to share in Paul's trouble. And we have this same kind of partnership in the gospel here at Back Creek Church. We are called in a spirit of joyful generosity to share one another's trouble for the sake of our mission. And I just want to highlight four relationships in which we get to do this. Four relationships that we talk about often in which we get to, out of joyful generosity, share trouble. The first relationship is our relationship with God. All of our generosity, all of our giving here at Back Creek is ultimately to and for God. Now, in this one relationship, we're not actually sharing in any trouble. See, God isn't troubled by anything, nor does he need anything from us in order to make trouble for Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness. God needs nothing from us, yet he invites us into joy through releasing earthly treasures that he has given to us back to him, finding him to be the ultimate and all-surpassing treasure and seeing how he uses our joyful generosity for the sake of his kingdom. The second relationship is one another. Horizontally, we do share in one another's trouble through joyful generosity. You enjoy this kind of relationship with your church staff here at Back Creek. In a sense, it is the job of the staff to go, to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. Not to seek after uh, secular employment where possibly we could uh, make more money and have a different lifestyle, but to be faithful to what God has called us to do, where He has called us to do it. And therefore, it's your role to give so that our ministry to you might be well-supplied and effective. For your pastors, at the top of our call to this church, it says that you may devote yourself wholly to the ministry of the world, to the, to the ministry of the word, we promise and obligate ourselves to. That you may devote yourself wholly to the ministry of the word, we promise and obligate ourselves to, and then it delineates uh, the church's commitment to our compensation. This is sharing in our trouble. This is partnership in the gospel. But of course, our one anothering goes beyond just our church staff. Our joyful generosity is the means by which we bless one another through the ministries of this church. All of the things that are done for our children and for our students, for our adults and our senior adults are done through your joyful generosity to this church. We bless one another when we share in one another's trouble by giving generously to the church. And also, we share one another's trouble when it comes to economic need 
through our joyful generosity here at Back Creek. We have uh, something called the Deacon's Fund, which is used to supply both our members and uh, people outside who have uh, needs, economic needs. And so as you give, uh, particularly on Christmas Eve, when all of our offerings are, are donated to the, to the Deacon's Fund, but as you give to our church... And as you give through the Deacon's Fund, we not only provide for the ministries of our church, reaching both those within and those without, but also we provide for economic needs within our church. The third relationship is with our neighbors. Joyful generosity funds our mission to our community. Everything that we do in the community is done through your giving. And lastly, uh, the relationship with the nations. We partner for the sake of the gospel with missionaries in the U.S. and abroad. Our aim is by our joyful generosity to share in their trouble, knowing that we not only give to them, but we receive from them because through our giving, we get to participate in God's work among the nations where they labor. Joyful generosity shares trouble. The second thing that we see in this passage is that joyful generosity sacrifices treasure. Joyful generosity sacrifices treasure. Look at verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippians were not giving to Paul out of their abundance, out of their excess. This was not a matter of the church having a surplus for the year and having their finance committee recommend uh, to find a productive place that they could spend it, and so they chose Paul. No, these were believers who heard about a specific need. And because of their joy in Christ and their partnership with Paul in the gospel, at their first opportunity, they gave freely and generously and sacrificially. And this kind of giving is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to God for two reasons. The first is that it is, it is pleasing and acceptable to God because it's an imitation of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8.6 says it better than I ever could. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Second. It's pleasing and acceptable to God because it magnifies Jesus as the ultimate and all-surpassing treasure to give sacrificially. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And I would just ask you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, your generosity, is it a sacrifice for you? Does it require you to give up anything? Does your contribution to the kingdom cost you in terms of earthly treasures and comforts and conveniences? If so, or if not, what would it look like for you to give 
sacrificially. Joyful generosity shares trouble. It sacrifices treasure. And finally, joyful generosity is supplied totally. Joyful generosity is supplied totally. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As you give joyfully and generously and sacrificially, God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory. Now Paul is absolutely confident that just as God graciously met his needs through the Philippians, their joyful generosity will be met with God's total supply and provision. We need to be clear here, though, about what a need is. We often think and talk about our needs when what we really mean is our wants. And I think that we can define it rather simply if we say this, you don't define what your needs are by what you feel. God determines what your needs are by what He provides. You don't determine what your needs are by what you feel. God determines what your needs are by what He provides. That said, the good news is that God always, always, never fails, but always gives us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. There is nothing we will ever need that our God and Father will withhold from us. You can never outgive God. You can never outgenerous God. You can never outsacrifice God. Paul asks in Romans 8, 31 and 32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? I just want to direct your eyes to the Gospel. Brothers and sisters, God has already given to us more generously than we can imagine in giving to us His only begotten Son. That God the Father would send God the Son to reconcile us to God, though we had rebelled against Him, that He would endure temptation, that He would endure crucifixion, that He would endure rejection and humiliation for our sake, that He would bear the weight of God's wrath and justice against our sin, that He would rise from the dead, that He would ascend to the right hand of God the Father and continue to intercede for us so that we might receive His riches at His expense. God has provided for us he has supplied us totally with everything that we need in Christ. And if He has given to us Christ, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? That should be our expectation. God's riches in glory are inexhaustible and so is His love for you. Do you trust that He will totally supply all your needs as you give joyfully, as you give generously, and as you give sacrificially. Joyful generosity shares trouble. 
It sacrifices treasure and it is supplied totally by God, by the God and Father to whom we desire that glory be forever and ever. Amen. Back to that church where George Truitt was preaching and that little woman stood up and said, Charlie, when we remember that Christ gave His life for us, I wonder if we ought not to give our little house to Him. Or her husband stood up also. And he said, Jeannie, dear, I was thinking the same thing. We will give the 3500 For just a moment, there was silence as the air went out of the room. And then suddenly there was a flood of people who just moments before had been reluctantly withholding what they had from the Lord and from His church who were tearfully giving their gifts to the Lord. And in less than five minutes, they had all that they needed to finish the project and more. Because of the joyful, sacrificial generosity of this couple whose lives were overflowing with joy in Christ that allowed them to be loose-handed, open-handed with what they had. A whole church responded in joyful generosity to do what God had called them to do and to further His mission and His kingdom in the world. Joyful generosity shares trouble. It sacrifices treasure and it is supplied totally by our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I just want to close this message and this whole series with Paul's final words of love and of greeting to all the saints at Philippi. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for your gracious and generous gifts to us. We thank you most of all for giving for our sake your only Son. In response, Lord, as we have freely received Let us freely, joyfully, generously, sacrificially give. Let us share in one another's trouble. Let us sacrifice our earthly treasures, looking to you, expecting total supply according to your riches and glory. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the blessing that it has been for us to see time and again that because our joy comes from our Savior and not our circumstances, that we can find and cultivate joy even in difficult times. Help us to do so now and for the rest of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.